Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Greetings again, friends, and welcome to our Resolute Hope podcast. Uh, Once again, I'm John Russin, and I'm here again with my dear friend, Frank Friedman. How are you doing again, Frank? Hey, my friend, we're doing pretty well down here in the humid south. How about you in the cool north? Well, today is not quite so cool in down east Maine. We're having a blistering summer day. I think it's 82. <laughs> but, uh, but it's a warm and sticky 82, but that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll tough it out. It's better than Arizona at 108, that's for sure. There you go. There you go. Uh, Frank, your newest book, Stunned by Grace, uh, has been well received. I've been seeing it all over Facebook and people are commenting with powerful words. Can you share just a few comments or thoughts that your readers have communicated to you since it's publishing? Sure. Um, The one that has really struck me was uh, a gentleman called, he shared the book with a very depressed man. Uh, This man was actually in ministry for decades, but lost his bride and um, was very, very depressed. Uh, His soul was just in in deep turmoil. Uh, He told his friends, you know, that he he would never do anything to hurt himself, but uh, he really didn't want to live anymore. He had lost his soul. My, uh, this person gave him a book on Monday. He called the gentleman on the Wednesday morning, which means he read it in two days, and basically told this gentleman, he said, I have never been encouraged in all my life by a book such as I have been with this one. I am back in the land of the living. And oh my goodness, even now, John, as I share that with you, I just have goosebumps because you know, that is what our hope was, uh, to instill into people that life in a very dark world doesn't have to remain dark. You know, the, I think the one thing man cannot live without is hope that whatever we're going through, it's not the end of the story. And that's what Stunned by Grace was all about. It, it's designed to lead us to Jesus Uh, not just as our Savior, not just as our Lord, but as our present tense life, because he shares his own life with us right now. And that's what happened to this man. And uh, I pray that it just happens to so many more people as God magnifies this book around the world, hopefully. You said the word hope very strongly, and it's interesting that uh, you hit on that point. Because I think the opposite of hope is kind of panic. And for the past several weeks, we have been talking about panic, about fear. Mm. And if I may, Frank, just for a moment or two, just summarize for our listeners a few of the verses that we've touched on. We we visited Judges 6, and we looked at the choices and the lifestyle that the nation of Israel and Gideon made because they were afraid of the Midianites. 
We jumped to Numbers 13 and the account of the 12 spies visiting the promised land and the lies that 10 of the 12 believed caused by fear and then the consequences to the nation, very dire consequences. And then jumping ahead to Numbers 14, we saw their eventual desire to dump Moses as their leader, bag the journey to the promised land, return to Israel and saying, okay, I'm willing to be a slave again. Gosh, this just nails me. I'm willing to be a slave again just to avoid facing my fears. So basically, they're willing to throw away their future and their children's future just to feel safe. Frank, there's a pattern here, isn't there? Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, we know from the book of Ezekiel that the children, Ezekiel 18, uh, do not bear the sins of their fathers. They're not responsible for the sins of their fathers. But we also need to understand that is not teaching that we're not going to be influenced by the sins of our fathers. Uh, little kids learn most powerfully through observation. And when they see their parents make bad decisions, they are not responsible for those decisions the parents make, but they sure are going to be influenced by them. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Uh, these children looking at their parents and watching them walk in fear. A little kid thinks, oh, that's how we're supposed to live. And they learn from example powerfully. And we're seeing that played out on the pages of scripture. Indeed, generational fear is a very powerful thing. I was raised uh, in a fatherless home. My sister and I, just my mom, we were very poor. And my mom was a very fearful person. Later in life, she came to know Jesus. So she's home now, and she's no mm -hmm. longer fearful. <laughs> but for most of my growing up years, we had a very fear-infused home. And she never actually sat me down and taught me to be afraid. I just kind of caught it. We lived under the, the huge dark cloud that in later years I called the big what if. What mm. if something happens? And my friend, it paralyzed her. It paralyzed us as a family. And for many years, uh, it was a stronghold in my life as well. Mm. Yeah, that, uh, that's why I think, you know, in, in the scripture, John, there is such an important revelation about the character of God. He told Moses as they were getting ready to leave and, and head into the promised land and, and do this incredible work that God was going to do in delivering people from bondage. Moses asked that question, who am I going to tell people you are? And God said, tell them I am. And it's so powerful and so glorious because what he's telling us is we will only meet God in the present tense. Anytime we go to the past, we're going to go there alone. His name is not I was. And for the purpose of this conversation that we've been having, his name is not I will be. And so when we try to go to the future, we're going to go there alone. And when we go there alone, we don't have the, the power to be able to do that because our imagination can run wild and then provoke us literally to paralyzing fear. Indeed. Psalm 46.10, be still and know 
that I am God. Looking over the past couple of weeks as we've reviewed the way these folks have chosen, uh, and then I look at my own life and I watch the news, we tend to get a bit of news, then we fear, then of course we panic because we've got to do something. And then we act out of that panic. And I don't see being still or knowing anywhere in that sequence of events I just described. It's not a feel, don't feel that I'm God, but sit there and know, think about it. It's a mental thing. It's not an emotion, is it? Wow, that's a powerful, powerful observation. He's not telling us to change what we feel. He's telling us to change what we know. You know, John, I believe it was Watchman Nee who first made this statement, and it is a very important one. That back in the Garden of Eden, when God first created us and breathed life into us, we were designed to live from the inside out. We were designed to live from our spirit. But when Adam sinned and we died, we know he didn't die in his body. He lived a couple hundred more years. We know he didn't die in his soul. Greek word is pasuke. That's the personality, seat of mind, emotions, and will. Because if he died in his soul, we'd be mindless, emotionless robots. He obviously died in spirit. He lost the life of God. And so man could no longer live from his spirit. Watchman Nee says what we have done is lived from our soul. And he called it an overdeveloped soul. That is a huge concept for us to lay hold of. When you take a muscle, if I can illustrate it, and you exercise it, you lift weights with it, it gets big. And that's what happened to us in the area of our mind, emotions, and will. They were supposed to complement the spirit, express the spirit, but now we have an overdeveloped soul. So we no longer have emotions. We have emotions. And that's exactly what seems to happen to us. We, they scream at us. And when we get screamed at, I think what happens is we wanna do anything we can in our resources to stop that screaming. And what we tend to do is react to our circumstances instead of respond to them. That is a, my goodness, my friend, I'm sitting here stunned by listening to your words. It is so, so, oh gosh, so true. I'm thinking of some of the choices I've made in my life, and frankly, I'm not very proud of them, but my mind runs ahead to uh, another one of our heroes of faith, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, you remember the story. He's taking his wife, Sarah, down to Egypt because of a famine. How Scripture tells us that Sarah is a beautiful woman. And of course, Abraham is afraid. And so he basically sets Sarah up to lie about being his wife. Don't say you're my wife, say you're my sister. And the telling words I see are in verse 13, where he says, Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. And so basically, he's putting his wife on the line, that which is bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, the thing that is most valuable to him on this earth. He's putting that on the line because of fear. That does not sound like anything other than an overdeveloped soul, does it? Wow, that's a, a classic illustration, John, because Abraham loved her. His, his heart, you know, when you read that ch those chapters of Genesis, was to be a husband to her, to care for her, to protect her. But when those emotions screamed, 
he reacted instead of responding totally out of character and you know to use the language that you put forth last time together he was willing to sacrifice what he counted most dear just to satisfy those feelings so he could feel better and and that's so tragic indeed and i think you've hit on it right there feeling is what defines peace in the eyes of many people it defines peace in the eyes of many Christians. If they feel mm. safe, if they feel loved, if they feel warm, if they feel protected, and so much of the of what we define as worship, so many of our life choices are designed to make us feel good and safe and right and loved and protected. And um, sometimes Father puts us in circumstances where none of that is true, and you just have to set your mind, grit your teeth, and believe him. Mm. Yeah, that's what's so important. I, I, we need to highlight that, John. Trusting God does, meet, does not mean that we have to feel in accordance with our trust. If, if that were the case, we'd be in real trouble. He said we need to trust, we need to set our mind, even if we don't feel. And, and that is so important to come to know because in the book of Colossians, we are told, set your mind. God would not call us to do something that we cannot do. And I find so many people who will say, I can't do that. And I say, why not? And they say, because I don't feel. <laughs> Wait a minute. He's not telling you to feel. He's telling you to believe. And that's really the key. In fact, in John chapter six, Peter makes this incredible statement. He said, we believe and therefore know. Yes. That really goes contrary to our educational system in the United States. We would say we know and then we believe. But in the scriptures, it's different. It's believe, take God at his word and you will come to know. You remember the phrase we shared last week, Frank, with our listeners about uh, that we've used for many years. I know how I feel, but what is the truth? And sometimes you have to be still and force yourself into a quiet calmness before you can really wrap your mind around the fact that there's truth out there and he is truth and he wants to be all that he is to all that we're afraid of at mm. that present time. Yeah, and I think of that verse in Titus 1-2, God cannot lie. I, I really like the choice of words there by the Holy Spirit. It's not that he does not lie. It's that it's impossible for him to do so. So when he says, I will be with you through that valley of the shadow of death, though you go into deep waters, I will be with you. He's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. He'll walk with us through whatever we're going through and provide himself as our strength. And that is just so precious for those of us who live in a very dark and desperate world. We need beyond our resources and he promises to provide himself. That's just precious. Indeed he does. Unfortunately, uh, it takes many of us a long time before we ever reach mm -hmm. that level of understanding. I call it the pinball, uh, pinball approach to faith. Where <laughs> a pinball just bounces around every bumper, 
uh, for years sometimes mm. before it finally winds up where it needs to go. And it just takes a while. And we mm. see this with, uh, with Jacob as well. Jacob, who uh, is Abraham's grandson, lived in a godly heritage. But here we are in jumping ahead now to Genesis chapter 32. You know the story, Frank, because you've preached on it many years ago mm -hmm. for months. The story of Jacob returning to the land. And of course, he's afraid of his brother Esau because he tricked him. He cheated him. And so he got, he scammed his brother. He went away. He got his life turned around. He's coming back. But that level of fear, that deep fear still runs like a thread through the fabric of his life. And he's so afraid that what does he do? He sends his wives and sons first, sends them on ahead, trying to calm the tension. And uh, you remember the story, Frank. What, what was the lesson that Jacob learned and how did Esau respond? with uh, the gesture of Jacob. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, I think if we, we need to elaborate a little further, go back into the past, you know, we, we look at Jacob in those early chapters with his mama and, and he almost appears like a mama's boy, you know, and Esau is the manly man in the family, you know, and he obviously was the favorite of his father uh, because he probably had some uh, masculinity <laughs> issues, you know, living vicariously through the son. And so he really appreciated the warrior son Esau. And, and you know, we, what happens is when we're in an environment growing up as little kids, we learn what works. It's called in the New Testament, the flesh. And I simply define flesh as maximizing our strengths, minimizing our weaknesses, to manipulate and control our environment, to get our needs met, independent of God. And so you look at Jacob, you know, his strength was not in terms of physical strength. His strength was in terms of manipulating, of working the system. And so when Esau shows up, this great warrior, he even had a, a band of men with him, uh, Jacob, you know, his strength was to manipulate. And so he sent that beautiful bride and kids out. And fortunately, Esau had had a work done in his heart by God. And Esau embraced him. And you know, there's a real lesson there, John. How much do we miss out on by reacting in our flesh and trying to satisfy those screams of our emotions instead of responding and trusting God, who is our real strength? And uh, like you said, Jacob was willing to forfeit some really wonderful things in his life to satisfy those screams. Indeed, and the screams can be loud sometimes, can't they, my friend? Yes, sir. I want to wrap us up today by uh, speaking briefly about the man whom I think is the most courageous person in Scripture. And this is Ananias mm. of Damascus. You find this story in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. And basically, the John synopsis goes like this. <laughs> of course, we know that Saul's on his way to uh, imprison and kill Christians. He has an encounter with Jesus along the way. He's struck blind. And here we step in a certain man, a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And I'm reading here. And the Lord comes to him in a vision and he says, hey, Ananias. And I says, yes, sir, here I am. 
He says, get up and go to this street called Straight. And there's a house there owned by a guy named Judas. And by the way, you could, there's a guy near, there named Saul of Tarsus. You know Saul, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> And, and he's seen a vision that somebody named your, your name is going to come there and put his hand on him, and he's going to receive his sight. And then what does Ananias say? He says, but, 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 but <laughs> God, and I've heard many times about this man. He's done much harm to your saints, but you don't really want me to go there, do you? And the Lord says, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. And so he doesn't say a word to Ananias and say, relax, son, it's going to be fine. He's one of, the, one of the good guys now. He gives no comforting word to Ananias. And Ananias just gulps, grits his teeth, and says, yes, sir. And he goes. And, of course, we know what happens. But what would have happened, Frank, if Ananias, in his fear, had said, no, thank you, Lord. I won't do that. What would he have missed out on? And how would that have changed the entire profile potentially of scripture? Wow, that's a huge question, John. You begin to think about it. And what a way to wrap this up today, to focus on this idea of overcoming our fear by believing in the truth. You know, what I would liken it to is what I would call a ripple effect. Because Ananias said, I do feel fear, but I'm going to listen to God. There was an incredible ripple effect unleashed into the world. Saul gets confirmed in the faith, becomes Paul, becomes the great champion of grace, transforms cities all over the then known world, and especially the idea of the people in those cities. And then like 2 Timothy 2 says, faithful people then taught other faithful people who taught other faithful people. And if you think about it, John, you and I are recipients of that ripple effect caused by Ananias, who said no to his fear, and then unleashed this great apostle Paul into the world. And the question I think I would ask myself first, and then all the listeners, what ripple effects is God waiting to accomplish in our lives if we could, like Ananias, respond instead of react when we become afraid and trust God and unleash the truth in our lives and then watch what the Holy Spirit does with a ripple effect that will affect other lives to the glory of the Lord Jesus. Wow, that's a huge thing to ponder. Indeed it is. And as you're talking, my mind goes back to the mental image of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, barge again, guns blazing, bulletproof. This is not the picture uh, that I have of Ananias of Damascus. Mm -hmm. I believe he was timid, fearful, and he just gulped and said, yes, sir, and just sort of did it. He didn't mm -hmm. have to be brave. He didn't have to be bold. He just had to be obedient and trust. Mm -hmm. And boy, sometimes it sounds like the easiest way, but it is not the easiest way when your emotions, as you said, are screaming. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I am not a fan of internet memes, 
But Frank, I saw one the other day that made me think. It was this. Don't let the fear of what might happen make nothing happen. And boy, doesn't that mm. fit with Ananias. Let me repeat that for our listeners. Don't let the fear of what might happen make nothing happen. Because as we've been discussing now for three weeks, worrying and fear, they don't remove tomorrow's troubles. They rob today's peace and they rob tomorrow's blessings, don't they? Wow. Would you repeat that last statement again, Sean? That's worth hearing again. Worrying and wrestling with fear, they don't remove tomorrow's troubles. They rob today's peace and they rob tomorrow's blessings. Wow, it's a great word. You know, as you said that, I couldn't help but have Matthew 6 in my mind where Jesus said, don't even worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble. Just take care of today. And the great glory is when we take care of today, we do so with our hand in the hand of the great I am, the God who promises to meet us in this moment. And, and that's powerful, powerful stuff. Before we go, John, can I add one rabbit trail? You know, as you know, I am the uh, master of the rabbit trail. <laughs> it needs to be a fat rabbit, but it needs to be a fast rabbit, Frank. Let me do it real quick. There's a lot of people out there that are going to listen to this and the enemy is going to beat them up and say, yeah, but you didn't do that. Look at how many times you let your feelings control you and you fell. Let me comfort all those people out there with the great truth of what God said about Abraham in Hebrews 11 and Romans 4. He said, Abraham never wavered in faith. Now, when I read that, I want to say, God, are you reading the Bible that you wrote? Uh, John and I talked about it today. He greatly failed in faith. He offered his wife. And God says, no, 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 he never failed. How are we to explain that? I think it's real clear. The Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. What did the Lord Jesus Christ die for? He died for our sin. What did he do with our sin? He removed them as far as the east is from the west. So when God looks at Abraham, he did not see that sin anymore. And dear listener, when he looks at you, he does not see that sin of faithlessness anymore. When you bring it up to him, oh God, I'm so sorry for that time I let my emotions rage and I chose contrary to who I am and contrary to what would please you. God will look at you and say, son, daughter, I don't know what you're talking about. It has been that far removed from you. John, I think that's a very fat rabbit. Indeed it is. And what incredible freedom comes in that last thought. It really makes me want to, right at this moment, boldly approach the throne of grace. Mm. So I'm going to wrap up, Frank, and pray for our listeners and for us. And my father, I lift up, lift up every listener here, my brother Frank and myself, that we would make these words real in our lives, that we would grit our teeth, say, yes, sir, and take that first step with you. We know that you'll be trustworthy. In Jesus' name, amen. And again, this has been John Russin with uh, Pastor Frank Friedman. Check us out on Facebook under Our Resolute Hope 
or on our website at ourresolutehope.com slash podcast. You'll hear more podcasts there and you'll find some references and resources that can help you. And as usual, I encourage you all to walk close. And when things get really scary, lean in a little closer. God bless you all. Bye-bye. Bless you. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.